Hello, everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. It's true. Uh, Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the internet, featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres, uh, my conversation with Chris Power, the British, the sort of uh, up-and-coming British literary star, I guess you could say. That's on, uh, that's up there now. Uh, it was a good conversation. He's an interesting guy. And, uh, yeah, you can go check that out over at authormagazine.org. We have articles on writing and the writing life, too. You know, it's true. I got some stuff in there, other writers. So it's good. Go check it out. Authormagazine.org. We're funded as well by the good people at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association. They have been supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. And, uh, you know, they just keep doing it. We're going to do the Writers Conference in September. It's going to be virtual. Ah, uh, yeah, still. And, uh, well, you know, it's good, though, in a way, because you can just attend from wherever you are. doesn't matter, does it? No, it doesn't. So that's good. And uh, I'll be there teaching some classes and, well, I hope to see you there. I hope I do. And you can learn about that at uh, pnwa.org. Yes. Well, people, if you haven't, I hope you picked up a copy of Everyone Has What It Takes, A Writer's Guide to the End of Self-Doubt. Very excited to have that book out there. Talk to people about it. Um, and I'll be teaching an Everyone Has What It Takes uh, workshop at the Writer's Digest conference, their yearly conference, which is coming up in just a couple weeks, I think the, uh, the end of the month. Boy, it's just around the corner. So I'll be doing that. If you haven't signed up, the Writers Digest Writers Conference, uh, it's virtual also. So again, no matter where you are, you can attend. That's right. So I hope to see you there. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Well, listen, we got a special guest today, Marilyn Peterson House. She, uh, Marilyn is a debut memoirist. Very glad to have her on the show. She learned to read and write in a one-room school set in the midst of a sea of corn and oats and then rode a rickety yellow school bus seven miles, you imagine, to the nearest town, which was a population of all 700, for middle and high school. That's what she did. Everything was oriented around the railroad that sliced through the tall grass prairie heading west, but Marilyn's own journey took her in the opposite direction. And after attending Augsburg College in Minneapolis, she and her husband moved east and settled in western Massachusetts, where she raised three kids, earned an MBA, and launched a successful business career. But I'm not here to talk to her about farming or railroads or business. No, because after retiring from her day job, Marilyn followed her dream to be a writer, began attending a weekly writer's workshop, and over the course of 10 years, yes, people, 10 years, wrote and completed half of a whole, her first book, a memoir, and it was published, ladies and gentlemen, just prior to her 80th birthday. Yes, it's never too late. Marilyn, how are you doing? I'm doing just fine, Bill. Hey, Marilyn, Congratulations. Congratulations, your memoir is out. It was a long journey, long journey to get there, wasn't thank it? Thank you. Yes, thank you. Yes, it was a very long journey. Yeah. Yeah, well, let's back up, Marilyn. Let, before we get to the writing of that book, um, it's a memoir. 
and it's the story part of uh, your relationship to your twin brother uh, and um, yes. his troubled life and sort of just your difficult childhood kind of um, maybe just tell us, let's, let's, I mean, I want to get into sort of where the writer was when all this was going on, but let's get into sort of, let's actually dive in because the story is really the story of your life told in a little nutshell in a way you cover a lot of ground in a relatively short amount of time. I mean, relatively speaking. So let's talk about that. The story <laughs> about you and your brother and your childhood in particular, which was, I got to say reading about it because the combination of, when it was happening and just the sort of incredible ruralness of it made it feel like another, just another world almost uh, compared to where we are now. Yes. Yes. Well, it really was a a different world from say Western Massachusetts. Um, It was the fifties, forties and fifties out in what had been a tall grass prairie. My great grandfather homesteaded the farm. My grandfather farmed it. My father farmed it. And now my younger brother is still farming it. Of course, wow. it's much larger now. But yep. um, so all those generations. Uh, and it was at the time we were growing up, it was a wonderful place for a kid to grow up. I mean, we played in the woods behind the machine shed. We streamed for, we, we strained for minnows out in the stream that led to a nearby pond, really a small, very small lake. Um, we played, we played with the pigs. We, you know, we fed corn to them. We had a wonderful time growing up there. Yeah. And um, yeah. it was, and then when we were six years old, we had really no much, we really played just with each other, my twin and I. It was just the yeah. two of us. And we had great yeah. freedom, uh, very little supervision. And then yeah. we went to this one-room school. It was two miles away, and it was just kids from uh, three-square-mile um, piece of land with the farm kids. So there were 20 of us when we started out in eight grades with one teacher. So it was like yeah. family. Um, And that was great fun. We enjoyed that. And it wasn't until we got in, got on that rickety bus you just read about, (laughs) talked about, that we got to the school, what we called the town school. And going to the town school was a very big deal for us country kids because we literally were what's known as country bumpkins. We didn't know anything about the social cues and things that went on in that, quote, town school. And so that was where where things started to get a little more dicey. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting because reading about the the time, particularly like the one-room schoolhouse, and to some degree your farm, although – it sounded like it was starting to modernize a little bit, but it was almost like you guys still had a foot in the 19th century a little bit. Like it, it you know, it almost could have been a little house. I mean, almost, I mean, there were cars and, you know, things were mechanized, but they, but mm-hmm. it still felt like there, you were still kind of, that world was still having a shadow over you a little bit. Is that fair? Yes. Yes, definitely. Yes, I would say so. We did get, my father was actually very progressive. He got electricity um, brought in as soon as the uh, REA rural, uh, you know, as soon as they brought it in, uh, the uh, government program brought electricity in. So we were among the first in that community to have electricity. But we didn't get running water until quite a few years later. I think I was maybe six or seven. And, of course, our one-room school had neither neither running water nor nor electricity at first. We had two outhouses. (laughs) And um, so, yes, it was a different world, a different life. And when you think about the 
uh, changes that have occurred since then. It's it's really pretty remarkable. I just watched on on the YouTube <laughs> a clip from 1951, I think, of, I think, who's, what's my line? Was that the name of the show? I think that was the name of the show. And on it, you know, they have somebody come on and, and there's something unique about them and the, and the celebrities have to guess. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. this guy was the last living person. He was 98 who had seen Abraham Lincoln get shot. He had been in the, in, oh and God. there he was on mm-hmm. TV. There he was on TV. <laughs> and I thought, wow. my God, and wow. I, you know, it's a, not quite as dramatic, but I think about what you have seen over your lifetime. I mean, it's, it's similar to my mom's, but she didn't, I don't think she, she was living in Kansas City. Um, yeah, and so well, things were probably a little more. Things, Go yeah, ahead. One of the things that I think is interesting to, to track the changes is with, when I was young, we had a wooden phone on the wall with yeah, a crank yeah. Uh, yeah. on one side and the receiver on the other side. And our number was four short. And to call us, you had to call our party line and yeah. and have the operator put you on our party line and dot, and then ring four short rings. And when you think about the changes in telephone and, oh, and now our God. iPhone technology, that kind of um, tell is an overview of, of of the technological changes. Yeah, it's tech. Yeah, you can take course, a picture. And of course, we had. I was going to say you can't take a picture with that no. wooden phone, could you? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. And the other thing was was that we we had uh, radios, but there was one station. It was the nearest town of any size, which was Wilmer, which was at that time about. 12,000 people, and all yeah. you could get was static for the most part. And we yeah. didn't get TV until I think we were in uh, late junior high school, and mostly what you saw was snow. <laughs> right, right. The station and just, you know, was so poor. So, yeah, so it, was a, it was a different world. You, you wrote about um, the differences between you and your brother, um, which is always interesting because twins, of course, there's so much overlap, but you were very different people in a lot of ways. Um, and just the way, what you were interested in and what he was interested in. You wrote some about the sort of challenging, this is sort of the, um, the Swedish sort of, um, emotionally remote culture, I think from which, is that fair description from which you you grew? They weren't cold necessarily, Mm -hmm. but people weren't crying on your shoulders much. Um, and, (laughs) but, and that is, I mean, as a writer, it's so important to be connected, I, I think, to the felt experience of life because that's what you're sharing. You're not just reporting on the news, you know. And right, right. Did you was that challenging for you as you sat down to begin writing to connect to sort of the or had you changed a lot over the years so that that what you had gotten more in, I like to say in touch with your feelings, but more willing to explore them. Yes, well, I think the um, the biggest uh, impact that that had, that uh, changed me was when my brother had his uh, psychotic breakdown when we were 45 years old, yeah. and he, he, I had to call the police and they had to drag him off to the nearest hospital. It was a right. it was a horrific event, a horrific time. And when I got back to Massachusetts, um, I I. Uh, ended up having uh, a, a breakdown of my own, not like right. his. Mine was a quiet right. breakdown, and I yeah. went into therapy. And that therapist, after half a year, said to me, um, you know, um, uh, he that I didn't trust him. And, of right. course, 
I didn't, you know. But after right. he confronted me on that, I did trust him. And then he wanted uh, some time later to work with dreams because he said, I talked myself out of what I felt. And so right. um, that was a breakthrough for me because then I began to connect with what I felt. And I had this immense ocean of grief and sorrow yeah. and loss over the twin brother I had grown up with that I had lost. And right. once once I opened that ocean up, um, then I think I found that uh, I, I, it opened up for me an ongoing ability to to be more um, uh, into my feelings rather than just into my head. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's so interesting, Marilyn. We the feeling part of the life is everything. I've come to understand it's our guidance. It's our experience of everything. It's how we experience joy. And the grief has to be like, you don't get one without the other. You don't get the, if you cut off from feeling, right. you cut off right. from all of it. And it's also, I just right. think how we under, like I always say with writing, like it feeling is only the way I know if I'm doing it right in a way, you know, it's the only mm-hmm. way I know if mm-hmm. it's, belongs or not is how it feels so i want and do you think do you think you ever would have written if you had not had that you probably couldn't have if you hadn't cracked open like that i don't think so in fact i i'm not sure what path what my path would have looked like at that time if i hadn't gone into therapy and really and really delved into what i felt because i was harboring all this um these repressed emotions and of course yeah. that you can't you repress them but they come out at the wrong time and in the wrong place and so right. um it really changed my life and um and it allowed me to um in, our children by were by then were teenagers it allowed right. me to become much more um compassionate and open and I don't think yeah. I was a bad parent but I think I became a much more um open and loving um parent um, yeah. After I had gone through that process, so yeah. And, and when I started to write, when I started to write, um, I found that exactly what you just said. I really had to process in and and when I was transported back to those times when I was writing about when I was a child yeah. or uh, even at the time of its breakdown. I really uh, felt like I was back there and I could feel those feelings again. And that was what I tried to capture as I was writing. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it's like. It wasn't just what happened. Hmm? No, no. Who cares about what happened? I know it sounds weird, but like I I, I teach memoir writing and I, I, I'll tell my students like nobody cares what happened to you, but they do care what it felt like when something was happening to you. Cause that's what right. they'll, I mean, it's mm-hmm. kind of, it, you know, your story is interesting from a just intellectual point of view and in that, Oh, you're twins. That's interesting. What's that like? And Oh, what, you know, you lived then that was, you know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of kind of cool details about it, but that's not mm-hmm. why you read a book. It's not, it's not why I read a book. It's right. always for right. what it feels like to be a human being going through all this. And right. you did a nice job of capturing right. that by the way, congratulations. You learned a well, lot. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so thank you, you started t- attending a weekly writer's workshop. Now, was this something led by a, uh, so this is you retire and, and, and so actually now I'm backing up. So you, so you, you work in the world of business. Good. Okay. You have a nice career. You raise a family. Uh, were you, was, were you a, you were a reader, I assume. Yeah. Well, I, I am a reader, but not like many of my friends are are voracious readers. Yeah. And you know, I grew up basically without books. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Uh, we, so I never uh, I learned how to um, get my 
much my satisfaction from doing things, from creating things. From, um, but I did always love to write, but I didn't do a lot of writing. Uh, And when I was in my business career, I found that I ended up writing up lots of things. I mean, it'd be things like a competitive overview or things that most people would find incredibly boring. But (laughs) I found it was it was fun to write. Uh, I, I did enjoy writing. And then when I retired. I suddenly had the opportunity to write, and I had, you know, I knew how to type, <laughs> but I right. didn't have any Start. training in writing. Right. Right. So I had right. no training in writing, and I had a poor, not much of a, a, a background in literature. I mean, I, I really right. was writing um, from my instinctive and um, my desire, really my basic desire. I had lived this story for uh, 70 years, and. I wanted to tell this story, so I knew I had right. to. I had to learn the craft, and so ah. my good friend, who is a poet, was teaching workshops for about a dozen women every week. We'd meet, or there were a few men, and so I started going to the workshops. I also subscribed to journals, and I bought books, and I really oh. went immersed wow. myself into yeah. the craft of writing for like three years. I really, and I wrote, and wow. I wrote, and I wrote. And so by the time, after about three years of that, by now I'm 70 years old, I said, okay, I feel like I'm ready to to jump into this story and start writing it. So I did. I jumped in, and I just wrote it chronologically from beginning to end. And when yeah. I got to the end, um, I had uh, uh, my... My workshop teacher had a friend who she recommended as an editor. So she went through it with me and helped me figure out structure and what my themes were and, you know, throw this chapter out and we need to know more about this. And so that's how I started putting the book together. Uh, You really really approached it with kind of a workmanlike, practical... That's very courageous. That's very good. And so you, so you, when you did the, when you started learning, I mean, there's, there's the craft, there's a whole emotional, well, I always think that's why I write books about the emotional challenges of writing, but I do like the craft as well. I don't, I acknowledge that's very important too. When you um, started writing, what, uh, what were the biggest challenges for you? Like, what was the thing that just didn't, you, that you didn't, that you really had to learn that wasn't obvious to you from the start? Um, well, I'd always thought you should be really good at description, and then of oh, course yeah. one of the things I learned was, you know, it was, you know, forget that idea. Um, right. I mean, description right. is useful if if you have a use for it. But I think um, um, for me, uh, it was was learning to be concise. I mean, I was very right. wordy at first, and yeah. what to, what to get rid of. That was really my biggest challenge: what to cut, what yeah. to get rid of, and. Um, and I was happy to have someone help me, you know, figure out things that I needed to throw out or, or to put somewhere else. So that, I think, was the biggest challenge is that, and like backstory. I had tons of backstory that I sure. found fascinating, but, you know, <laughs> you know that yeah. only so much of that goes a long way. So, um, yeah. uh, and then... And then perhaps the other thing that I found, one of the other things I found challenging was I had this um, little guy sitting on my shoulder saying, you're being disloyal to your family. You're being disloyal to your family. You shouldn't be saying that. You know, they're going to get upset with you. And and so I had to whack that little guy off my shoulder because he kept telling me things like that. And uh, so that was another challenge. Um, And then just... um, 
Yeah. Um, and then um, admitting my complicity in many of the things that happened. Yes. I, you know, had this, when I went into therapy, I had this image of myself as sort of dressed in white, you know, and right. of course that <laughs> had to be destroyed. Uh, I grew up in a black yeah. and white world of the fundament- yeah. fundamentalist evangelicals. And yeah. so um, that was really hard for me. And when I was writing, I had to dig down and process until I could kind of, you know, recognize my part in it and what the role I played as well as the people around me. And that was, uh, you know, I had to be as honest as I was able to be. And that was a challenge. Yeah. So, but I loved it. I loved it. And I'd get lost in writing, you know, I'd get up. What what Um, was the part that you loved? I Figuring it all out. I just loved figuring yeah. it out. You know, why did I, what happened on that, you know, at that event? Or what What was my response to that letter? And why did I feel the way I did? And oh, I would process yeah. and process yeah. and process as to what my reaction was and why did I feel that so intently? And what were yeah. all the factors that played into it? And I loved processing it. I, I don't know. I just loved to think. <laughs> and, well, and I would think my way through all of it. Yeah. Oh, that's you know, great. You know, I always say when I... Think my way through to my feelings. That's right. Well, you, you, it's an interesting thing. I always, like, when I'm writing, I always say that, like, I always, I know what happened, and I know how I responded, and the thing I always spend my time asking is why. Why did you do that? Like, why did you mm-hmm. feel that way? Why did you, like, right. what was the story right. you believed? What was the... And often I don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's what I write to discover. Right. And, uh, Right. And complicity. Right. I'm so glad you said complicity. Think, That's exactly the right word, Marilyn. That's always the thing we're looking for. Not going to sit around blaming everyone for our lives. Right, right, <laughs> right. And and I, by the time I finished writing writing it, um, you know, I I I felt like I had um, really come to some basic understanding. You know, to untang I had untangled my life in some kind of a way and come to some real understanding. And not just of of the people around me, but also of myself. And uh, and I felt uh, when I finally finished the book, I felt kind of settled inside. You know that I had I had learned uh, so much about um, you know my twin, myself, our relationship, and all the people around us. And I think just from thinking and processing and trying to, as you say, discover the really underlying truths of 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 what I felt and what had happened. Um, yeah. It ended up being um, uh, a very um, uh, settling process for me. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, I think it's some of the best therapy. And you know, you can't write it as therapy. Like you can't, you can't publish a journal. Well, you could publish a journal, but I, it's a rare journal that I think another person would want to read. But I think there's something about putting your, you know, creating a story and reframing your past in a way that is transformative is just. I think it's the most healing process. It has been for me anyway. Yes, I would agree. I would agree. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. All right. Well, so you, uh, you published this book. It came out June 8th and uh, you've started sharing it with people. What's that like? Mm-hmm. People are reading about you, Marilyn. They're reading. <laughs> what do you, what's that like for you? 
Well, in, interesting you you mentioned that because um, I've had several readings here in in the Berkshires, but the reading I had a week or so ago was back in Kirkhoven, that town of seven hundred. Ooh, yeah. And yeah. yes, yes, where my class, some many of my classmates still live. Many of my cousins oh, are still there. Wow. And um, and uh, and and neighbors. So these people know this place. They know all the characters in the beginning of my yeah. book, and you know they. This is where they live. And uh, so um, we headed in the Kirkhoven Civic Center, and um, I did a reading, and there were we brought 40 books. There, there wasn't really a bookstore there, so I had to get right. the books there ahead of yeah. time. And yeah. we sold out. <laughs> wow. We sold out, and, uh, and, and it was such fun because um, these people who, they treated me like I was a celebrity. They get collected around the book table where we were selling yeah. books because they were afraid they weren't going to get a book. They wanted wow. their picture taken with me. And, wow. And, of Marilyn, course, I had to sign all the books. It was, <laughs> it was really fun. It was really yeah. fun. And I just got an email from the editor of the weekly there, the Kirkhoven Banner, who said he's got people stopping into his office wanting if he can tell them how to get a book because he had put an ad in for us. And wow. <laughs> so people wow. are still stopping in. So that was fun. And then hey. I had several readings locally. My mm-hmm. yeah, no, go ahead. Um, and I have several, several coming up. So that I I love to do the readings. Yeah, and if people and are now have you done the thing and you've listed them on your events on your website, your events page on your website. Are you have you done that? I have an events page um, of the ones that have already occurred, but I don't have the ones coming up. <laughs> no, um, you got to put the ones that are coming up, Marilyn. <laughs> That's what they're there I for. I know, okay. I know. I got to get. Well, I know, I know. My my granddaughter is doing my web page for me, and I got to get on her case. She's got to get yeah. those up, but I haven't given to given them to her yet. So do it. Do it. Um, get I on have it. To do that. As soon as come on, yep, Marilyn's I will, I granddaughter. Will. Do it. We got to get to that. Okay. Um, well, so I, but have you enjoyed? So aside from being the celebrity writer that you were in Kirkhoven, uh, are you what I mean, have it, is it been gratifying just talking to people about it? Um, just sort of how yes, it maybe it overlaps really their lives? Yes, it, it's uh, been very gratifying. Many people, uh, of course, so many people have had mental illness in their families sure. and in their lives. And they are, you know, many of them are very gripped by the story because it, it uh they identify with parts of it, so that has been very gratifying. And uh, some people have had very emotional reactions to the relationship with my mother, and that mm-hmm. uh, I love. I love it when people, um, you know, want to talk about the book and and what's in it and what what about it that that grabbed them. So that yeah, yeah. It's really fun. It's great. You know, it's a magical thing, Marilyn. We write these books. It's a very private kind of experience. It's a very Mm-hmm. No, you're doing it all. I mean, you have an editor and whatnot, but you're sitting alone at some desk somewhere, I assume, right. or a cafe, and right. then it goes out, and it, you know, it has a life of its own with these people, and it affects them in their own way. I talked to Richard Bach. I right. remember was remember he Richard Bach wrote Jonathan Livingston Siegel and a bunch of other stuff. Great guy. Yes. And yes. he talked about it. he reached a lot of people, and he said, you know, you just the the effect you have, you're never really going to know it. If you're gonna, people are gonna read something you wrote, and they're never gonna tell you about it. You ne- but it's gonna affect them, and it's gonna change them in some way. Right. And you may never know, but I kind of feel like we feel it in some way, some way maybe, some mystical way. We feel yes. it. What do you think of that? Yeah, and it's always, 
yeah no i think you're right i think you're right um i and it just feels good to know that people are out there and i don't know how many are reading this book and they're taking out of it things that you maybe never even thought about you talked you asked me about my growing up on the farm i'm surprised at how many people uh, look upon that as being really interesting, <laughs> you know, like you well, did. Because not a lot of us have, have just the way it that. was. Yeah, no, it's a, it's. I <laughs> think more, fewer and fewer people have experienced that, you know. Even though, even now, right, a right. farm now. I mean, most right. of them are corporate anyway. I suspect. I mean, most of them. Yes, yes. Family. Yes, and ours is still a, a single family farm. So, hey, um, I mean, right. it has most of the buildings still there that were there when I was growing up. So wow. it's a, just a pleasure to be there. Yeah. All right. Well, Marilyn, um, that's great. So, and it's and if people want to learn about you, it's MarilynPetersonHouse.com, right? Yes. Right, and it's H-A-U-S, people, H-A-U-S, Marilyn Peterson House, right. the German spelling, I guess it is there. Something. Yes, exactly, know. exactly. Yeah, it's pretty good. Exactly. Um, like Bauhaus. All right, all right, uh, Marilyn, I got one more question for you. Uh, and right. it's this, if writing has taught you anything, it's taught you what? Well, it taught me to dig deep to try to get to the truth of what I'm writing about and that I have to dig through many layers to get there, layers of denial that, you know, I didn't want to, I had repressed things I didn't want to admit to. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, feelings of disloyalty about to the people I'm writing about um, and break through um, layers of self-deception uh, about myself. And I find that uh, what I learned was that processing and continuing to process was really important in writing the story. Yeah, I totally agree. Marilyn, congratulations. It is fantastic. I love Thank it. Thank you. When people come Thank to you. this a little later, a little later in their life, and they just see it through. I think it's <laughs> or, fantastic. Or much later. <laughs> well, it's okay, much later. It's very inspiring. Congratulations, Marilyn. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Good luck with it. And I think it's, it's a message to people they can start writing at any time. That's right. That's right. Hey, listen, I have a student who's I think 99. No, she's 100. Did she 100? She finally cracked on it. She just sent something. It was gorgeous. You never, it's never, you're never too, it's never too late. All right, never Marilyn. Too late. Congratulations and good luck with the book. And thank you so much, Bill. I really loved being on your show. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. All right, people. Yes, stick to it. You know, it just isn't. I can't, it just isn't. There's no such thing as too late. I don't buy it. And Marilyn is just one more bit of evidence for that, isn't she? Yes, she is. Very inspiring story. Uh, okay. So, again, the name of the book is Half of a Whole, if you want to pick it up. Half of a Whole. Uh, all right. Well, this has been fun. I want to thank my producer, RJ Jeffries, as always, and thank you all of you out there. Uh, so, until next week, uh, go find something you love to do and do it. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. 
In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.